0: You are listening to Hear Her Sports, a podcast for active, adventurous women who love hearing stories from other active and adventurous women. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in sport through a conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. This week's guest is definitely adventurous. I am here with Kelsey Fendler, who is in the initial phase of prepping to row across the Pacific with her hurricane rowing teammates. She took the time to talk about what all of that looks like. We talk about what's involved in the Great Pacific Race, how anyone can do it as long as they go through all the preparation requirements, what that prep is, how Kelsey and her three teammates are tackling those things, team dynamics in tight quarters for what they hope will be about a month in the ocean, and what the physical training looks like. Kelsey also shares stories from her work as a river guide, female role models, and what drives her. That's quite a lot. So let's get on with today's episode with ocean rower, Kelsey Fendler. Since she was 18 years old, Kelsey Fendler has been working on water and in boats of all kinds. She's been a professional Grand Canyon boatman and river guide for 10 years, where she rows boats loaded with gear and passengers along 226 mile trips in every weather condition imaginable from spring through fall. Kelsey also currently pilots motorboats for the United States Geological Survey Fish Study Group, and now she is preparing to row from San Francisco to Hawaii with her hurricane rowing teammates in the Great Pacific Race. This race will certainly be a huge challenge, but Kelsey is no stranger to the perseverance needed to smile in the face of physical and environmental adversity. So she's really looking forward to this year of planning and preparation. Working with a strong group of women is exactly where Kelsey thrives. She believes training to break the women's Ocean Rowan world record alongside her strong teammates, Sierra Myers, and sisters Jennifer and Kristen Hoffer, will be a deeply transformational experience. They all share that same dream. Well, hi, Kelsey. I appreciate
1: you being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. So I want to start just... By you telling me, like, what exactly you're doing in this race, the Great Pacific Race.
1: All right. So the Great Pacific Race is a 2,400 nautical mile race from San Francisco to Honolulu, Hawaii. And it's um, ocean rowing. And not a lot of people have heard of ocean rowing. It's kind of a, a funny niche sport out there in the world. There are these really neat boats made for rowing, rowing across oceans made for really big water. And I'm rowing with my team. We're called Hurricane Rowing. And it's a, a group of four women that are trying to go for the the women's world record in this next coming race in May 2024.
0: Oh, my gosh, I have so many questions. Okay, so first, how about describing the boat? I mean, like, where are you guys going to be sleeping? And like, how did do, what does it look like?
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's, it's very funny because it's, it's it's usually the first question that you're asked after you tell someone that you're rowing from San Francisco to Hawaii is what does the boat look like? And it's they're really neat boats. They are usually fiberglass. There are some that are made out of wood, but the boat that we want to purchase is a fiberglass boat. And um, there's different sizes depending on your crew. There's people that row solo. There's people that row in pairs. And there's teams of three, four, and five. We're a team of four, so we'd be looking at what's called like an R forty five. It's about twenty eight feet long. It's got two cabins on each end. They're watertight cabins, so you're sharing a cabin with one other teammate, and you're rotating in shifts, so you're never usually sleeping together unless you guys have to throw out the sea anchor and bunk down and hang out together in the tiny cabin. And then there's in the center there's a kind of a flat deck with two rowing benches and obviously your ore sets, And it's got everything that you need to live for up to 60, 90 days for your whole crossing, depending on how long it takes you. Um, you can make water on the boat. You can make your food on the boat. You can do everything that you need to live right on the boat and sustain yourself
0: that way. Where's the kitchen? Or is there a kitchen? <laughs> there is no kitchen. <laughs> um, there is
1: no kitchen. It's a um, jet boil and dehydrated food. But
0: yeah, explain the boiling of the like. How how are you boiling water?
1: So jet boils are kind of neat little backpacking items. They run off of small canisters of gas, and you can just boil water quickly. And it's usually just if you're familiar with backpacking food, it's dehydrated food that you just add water, and eventually it becomes
0: edible. And so that's the only thing that you're going to be eating is this dehydrated food?
1: Um, No, we we'll bring other things. We're we're required to bring. I think 5,000 calories per person per day as a minimum bear requirement for the race to make sure that we have enough food to sustain ourselves. A lot of people lose a lot of weight on these races because um, it's just really hard to eat enough calories to not lose weight. So we're required to bring lots of food. So I think a lot of our main staple will probably be this dehydrated food. But you bring extras, kind of creature comfort things. I've learned from doing a lot of long trips is it's really nice to have. Some of your favorite snacks, they really motivate, at least me, I'm very food motivated when it comes to doing anything. Um, if I know that I have one of my favorite snacks, it can really get me through a lot. So I think it depends on the person what, what you want to bring, because it's very individual what people crave. Sweets, some people crave salty things, but um, you, you sprinkle in whatever else you want alongside some of this very lightweight, high calorie, dense food.
0: Right. Yeah. I did read that a lot of people lose weight. That's super interesting. Just, you know, like, how can you, like, how can you prepare in a way not to have that happen so much?
1: So we've been talking to a lot of people that have done different ocean rows and have done the Pacific row. And there's a lot of different strategies. You really have to make sure that you feed yourself. Even if you don't feel like eating, you have to make sure you're on top of your food. But There is actually something that um, Sophia, who is part of the four women that are currently holding the women's world record for the Pacific crossing, she said to us in a meeting um, a couple weeks ago, it's really important to have a lot of muscle density because your body's going to need something to eat while you're out there. And that really sat (laughs) with me and it gave me a lot of it, yeah, it gave me a lot of uh, more intensity to my strength training. Um, you you just have to prepare to really a lot of our training is preparing to be as healthy and strong and ready as possible because inevitably there will be breakdown and there will be a decline in your physical ability throughout the race because you're asking so much of your body. Sure. So you have to be so ready that you're willing to let go of a little bit to continue,
0: I I do want to talk about all your preparation, but first, you know, like, can anyone enter this race? And and you know, sort of as a corollary to that question, like, how did you get involved in in this?
1: Yeah. So the the really neat part about this race is, if you really want it, you can be there, and you don't have to go for records. You don't have to even really want a race. You can just want to show up and want to to do it alongside other people. Um, you just, you have to put the work in. It's a, it's said that most of the work of this race is not actually the race itself. It's getting to the start line. There's a lot of preparation that goes in the physical training, but also the, the financial training or fundraising as it is. And, um, there's a lot of, um, certifications that you need to obtain boating licenses and, um, survival training sea survival training and radio handling certificates so if you're willing to put in all the work you're allowed to be there just like anyone else you don't have to accomplish a certain time you don't have to be the best rower in the world and it's it's a really it's a really cool thing because it it brings a really beautiful community to the ocean rowing concept because it's it's really like most endurance sports it's a lot more about willpower and and desire and heart than it is about talent. Um, but the way I found it is, I just, I love boats in the middle of nowhere. I've, I've really enjoyed rowing most of my career in, in the wilderness, that's what I do. And um, I actually got a really wonderful chance to sail from Valencia, Spain to the Caribbean during the time that they were launching the Talisker Whiskey race. That is the Atlantic race from the Canary Islands to the Caribbean. And I got to see some people that were getting ready for their race and how excited they were and just how beautiful that that community was and how really cool the concept is, is being out in the ocean but in such a different way and just powered by you and not powered by sails, not powered by motors, just powered by yourself and your, your desire to be there. So... I I saw these guys getting ready for their race, and it really sat with me. And I just I couldn't stop thinking about it. And eventually, um, I decided to reach out to the race, the Pacific race. I, I found a little bit more interesting because the the Atlantic race is is very big now. It's it's the most popular race, and there's a lot of certainty around it. You can with a lot of certainty sign up for the the Atlantic crossing and 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 make it they have a very low rate of failure which is amazing they have it dialed in they're so good at what they do but the Pacific has a little bit more chance of failure I would say and it felt more attractive to me
0: oh that's um, interesting
1: yeah <laughs> yeah well just just to to know that it, it it it's it's a it's a hard thing it's a it's a scary thing and Um, I just wanted to know what that was like out there and I found my team I feel so lucky that I found these ladies because um, I didn't know them before we became a team they knew each other through rowing together and actually two of them are sisters but I found them because I knew I wanted to race and I was looking for a team of like-minded women that wanted to go for the record and wanted to put everything they they could into this race
0: when you say like-minded what do you mean
1: you know, I I've just recently met them in the last 6 months, but I I feel so so comfortable with them, so very secure with them. I I'm I'm really excited to be around them. We we have some of the same just understanding of why we're doing this and why we want to do this and you know, we're we're really inspired and pushed to do this to just show up in spaces that are usually much more male focused or you know, don't have a lot of representation of of women there or just things that people wouldn't expect or think women are also capable of doing. And that's, that's why we're excited to do it because I think we've all had experiences in jobs or different athletic positions where we felt super, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just underestimated in our, in our skills and just showing up in places where we can prove that we, we also belong there, we also deserve to be there and, um, and that we just, we really all feel excited about it and, and, know that we all came to the place of wanting to do this race separately and knew that we wanted to be there. So it's, it's really cool to have that, that no one really took any convincing to, to come along. Is really important too because everyone needs to want to be there for their own self as well as the team. Also that we want to try to be really, really good and try to be as fast as possible going through this. Yeah, we're all just really excited about trying to go for the record as well and we know that we want to try as hard as we can so I I have full confidence that they're going to train as hard as they can and I know that I have people that I'm training for so it really does give all of us a, a boost to know we have someone else that we're working hard for as well. So it's just, I'm really excited to, to be with these guys. It's a, it's a really cool feeling. I'm really motivated by um, being on a team and this is a team that I couldn't ask for anything better.
0: I think team endeavors are so interesting and fun, but also challenging you know and you guys are all going to be on a very small boat together <laughs> for a pretty long time you know are you thinking about how to manage sort of the the team dynamic personal relationship aspect of it absolutely we
1: we talk about that a lot and oh, we really? think about it a lot yeah we do it's actually a big part of it for us and we we've been exploring different ways to to work on that and we we have so many meetings and we talk so very often just to get to know each other as, as well as we can. And um, we've talked about different ways to figure out ourselves a little bit more and how we need to be talked to in in those moments when we are tired and angry and over it and don't want to do it so we can communicate that to each other. And we're, we're trying to figure out just each other in general and how we need to be treated and, and Um, how to support each other. And I think that's a really big part of our culture as a team right now is trying to create a really strong relationship with one another and be really transparent, really open, and also just as supportive as we can be with each other. We're also doing uh, little challenges amongst each other. Weekly or biweekly, we um, propose something that we're going to do every day, the whole week, that puts us outside of our comfort zone and last week we were um we are doing a lot of meditation ah. and that's something we've been trying to just focus on is the the mental preparedness of the the race as well because a lot of it is is a is a mental race
0: sure one other thing that immediately i think about in that situation if i were in it is that it would be tough for me to get the alone time that i need i mean it sounds like the way the boat is set up, that every two hours, each of the athletes is going to have that alone time. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So the way the race works is you do two-hour shifts. Two hours is rowing. Two hours is trying to sleep or eat or do whatever else you need to, to keep yourself okay during that time. So you you do get the alone time. I think a lot of that alone time will be spent swin- sleeping. But that's another part of just the the mental portion of it is having the relationship with the people that you can, you can get what you need while you're still around them.
0: Have you ever done anything like this or have any of you done anything like this?
1: I have experience with long trips around people from working in Grand Canyon and the people are always there and you're working a lot and you're always on. And I also, I did a sailing trip on an Atlantic crossing, but that was on a sailboat. So the sailboat was bigger, but it was still hard to escape if you needed to. But you, you find ways to keep yourself happy and sane, even when you're around people, I think in that instance, if you put the work in to know what you need in those moments.
0: Well, why don't you introduce the team a little bit before we go on to sort of how all of you are preparing
1: We have Kristen and Jen are actually sisters, so they've known each other for a long time. Jen um, rode in college, and that's how she met Sierra, who's our, our other teammate. They both rode in college together. Kristen, actually, while she was in Hawaii doing some botany work, she raced outrigger canoes, so they've got some really cool background there, and Sierra was actually a competitive power lifter for a time. Um, so they've all got really wonderful backgrounds in in rowing and athletics. And it just makes a really, really awesome, well-rounded group of, group of ladies I'm really excited to work with.
0: I want to talk about preparation. And as you've indicated, there's all different kinds of preparation. So let's start with just sort of the very basic physical training that you guys are doing. And is there anybody that's guiding that? so we we've actually been discussing getting a
1: strength trainer, but we have had the guidance of an alumni from Jen and Sierra's college who is the rowing coach at the college that they went to, and she's been kind of guiding us in in our journey with that. But what we're doing is a a lot of strength training and just a lot of time with cardio we're doing a lot of time on the erg and a lot of time running a lot of time just kind of living in that heart rate zone where you can you can build up your your capacity but like i said before the the strength training is often an an overlooked piece of the training that's actually incredibly important so we're doing a lot of that as well
0: and do you have a like when when you're actually racing are you going to be watching your heart rate
1: No. Right. Okay. No. Um. But it's it's more just the preparedness, and really, when we're we're racing, but we're not going fast. You can't you can't sprint for thirty days. (laughs) So it's really just being able to sustain that movement for you know thirty days, two hours on, two hours off. That's what we're trying to train for is just building up the endurance, the strength the the stamina to be able to just continue
0: even when you don't want to just to continue on okay and so in terms of mental training what you guys are doing and you know like immediately i start thinking of you know lack of sleep and you know some of the other stuff that we spoke about but also you know there's things like fear of the water the ocean the just the strain of the physical duress
1: what we're doing to prepare mentally, we're, we're spending a lot of time just working on our team dynamics, making sure that we are strong as a unit, that we can get through anything. We'll have to take a lot of sailing, well, certifications. Usually they're for sailing, but they also apply in this. They're keelboat certifications, short range radio certifications. We need to have RC survival training. Um, so those are all pieces of the puzzle that go into your preparedness for it. Um, but also just knowing yourself enough to know how to comfort yourself when things get really, really hard and how to push through that. So we're, we're just working on trying to find really creative ways to make each other and ourselves uncomfortable or find ways to be uncomfortable and find comfort in the discomfort, I guess, so we're, we've been trying to be a little creative about that lately, and just with like little challenges to each other, or all right, this is going to be a cold shower, not a hot shower. You can do this.
0: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, will you guys get together and train together at some point?
1: Yes, um absolutely. Okay. We're planning to all be together the last six months of our training, either in Oregon or we've been talking about going down to California to be closer to where our boat will be. And it's easier to get out on the water and do some longer rows. But our plan is all be together at least six to seven months out and, and train together pretty consistently.
0: And at that time, you'll have the boat also. That's the dream. Okay. Okay. And so, okay, so what what other planning are you having to do or preparing that you're having to do? I mean, there's fundraising you mentioned, and I imagine there's a lot of sort of logistical kind of things like just getting all the food together and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, um, we have all the certifications we need to take and there's a, a whole list of that. And then the physical training goes on top of that, and then that the comes in the the outreach, the social media that we need to be doing to kind of gain presence, and then on top of all of that is the the sponsorships that we're we're trying to get because the boats are expensive and the the race is expensive, and like anything, races take money. So we um, that that is it becomes into a, a second full time job is getting prepared for that whole portion of it, Um, reaching out to companies, talking to sponsors, getting our boat together, getting all the gear needed, and having a plan for that, knowing the food we need, and all the little intricate details of that. And also, we have to be as self-sufficient as possible out there. If something breaks, we have to fix it. If anyone comes to, to help us, it disqualifies us. There is a follow boat for all... For the race, just one. But if they come and have to save us, you know, we're disqualified. So we need to be able to fix everything ourselves. So um, I've been learning a lot about electricity and how to rewire things. And um, oh wow! Yeah, I, I mean, you have to account for everything. If something breaks, you must fix it. We have to learn every little piece of the boat because if if something goes wrong, it's just us and our hands and maybe a couple tools that we thought of to bring. So Knowing the parts of that are really important. We've been talking to a lot of people that have done these races, and a lot of our questions are what broke for you? Because everything breaks, something's going to break. It's just can you be prepared for that broken thing and know how to fix it?
0: How are you finding, or not just you, but how is the team finding sort of that aspect of it? And I also would say, like, how are you finding, you know, like reaching out to the sponsors? I mean, is this something that's a fun portion for you?
1: I think I think we are having fun with it. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of training and thinking about it, but I I'm enjoy I'm enjoying it and just it makes it even more of an exciting idea to be able to be out there eventually. I know when we've finally done this mountain of paperwork and fundraising and training and we're finally out there, it'll just be like this blissful vacation. It's not going to be a vacation, but it'll feel like it after we've completed all of this.
0: Sure. Do you have a sense of what you're looking forward to, or is it too early for that, like during the race? Uh, I mean, I, I love
1: I love boats in the middle of nowhere. I love just being, being out somewhere, doing something so simple. Um, I like the simplicity of your life when you do really long trips like that. Um, where it's just eat, sleep, row, repeat, do it again. And things become a lot smaller and simpler and beautiful because then you can take more time to appreciate the stuff around you. And, you know, your your whole world is in a 28-foot boat, and that's what you get. And it can be really beautiful like that.
0: It's sort of romanticized yeah, in a way, you know, sort of this vision of... Uh... I don't know solitude and getting away from social media. I guess except you guys aren't going to be. You're going to be working. Yeah, we're media.
1: we're going to try to. That's that's a little part of it with the sponsorship. Is you you gotta you gotta thank the people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your own athletic background. Okay. How did you get started in in sports? Uh, when I was
1: Younger, I competitively swam. I've always really loved the water. But when I was 18, I started whitewater rafting. I went on a rafting trip for my 18th birthday. My mom took me and I was so amazed by the guides and that I had no idea that that was a job that you could do. That after the trip, I kind of cornered one of them and I didn't let them leave until they told me how I could become a guide. And then the next day I just kept showing up, and I worked for free all summer until I um, until I could get my guide's license. They invited me back the next year, and that was kind of it. I, I never stopped guiding. I've been uh, a river guide since I was 18. I went from New York, where I grew up on the rivers out there. I moved to Colorado to work on the Arkansas, and now I'm working in in Grand Canyon rowing boats and, and also driving motor boats down there and I followed the the spark the thing that really made me excited and it was always boats and water and finding a new way to to be part of that
0: that must be cool to be in the Grand Canyon like all summer all year oh it's it's it's
1: really magical down there it's one of the my favorite places yeah it's, uh, it's 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 hard to explain because it's it you know the trips are really hard they're really long but it I when I'm down there there's nowhere else I'd want to be.
0: Are the people that you're guiding are are they experienced are they new to this?
1: Oh, usually they they've never camped in their whole lives. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, most of the time actually. Yeah. So you're you're doing a lot of hand holding. Yeah. Um, along with that, but. It's, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to show people a place that you love and convince them that it's really important because the more people that see some of our wild spaces and the more people that get memories in places like that, the more they're going to care about it and the more they're going to want to protect it. For sure. And that's how I, I I try to think about it is it's a privilege to,
0: to show people um, these places. I've heard that that business is very male dominated. How's it been for you?
1: It is, um, it's getting a lot better. It was a very slow going, especially in the beginning of the commercial work, um, especially in like the 70s, 80s. Um, It's getting a little bit better. I wouldn't say that in any way we are close to, to equal and it takes, in my experience, it takes more work to get to the same place. But, you know, I think that's one of the things that has made me better is I know that I have to work just as hard or harder, three times as hard to, to get the same job or the same opportunities. So it's made me a better guide for it um, in the end.
0: If you are enjoying this episode and would like to support the work we're doing here, giving voice to female athletes in women in sport, and increasing the amount of media coverage for women in sport, go to patreon.com slash hearher, or to buymeacoffee.com slash hearher. Thinking of you listeners always fuels me as I prep for interviews and do all the editing. I'm so excited you're here, but coffee also fuels me, and it's so tasty. So, actually, I really love the idea of buy me a coffee.
2: Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mobile podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the checkered flag.
0: Now let's get back to Kelsey Fendler, who is preparing to row across the Pacific with her team Hurricane Rowing in the Great Pacific Race starting May 2024. You mentioned representation and we're sort of talking about it here as well. You know, like this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just, you know, like, why is it so important? You know, like sometimes I think, you know, why can't we just go ahead and do things without having seen someone else do it before? But it's not always possible.
1: Well, I think I think it's. It's so interesting because it's like a it's like an understanding of what people can and cannot do with your limited scope of what the thing is, and I kind of look at this from my my rafting career. Is there's been countless times where I've had a guest come up to me after a trip and say, you know, I really didn't think you'd be as good at your job as you are because you're so small or a lady, but it's just I I really love being able to to change people's perspective about it. But it is hard, too. Um, I, I talk about having a guide personality and having my other personality. And my guide personality is this really tough, gritty, forceful, some would say bossy personality because you have to cultivate this thing because you're constantly convincing someone that you're, you're also allowed to be there or you should be there or you're just as good at your job, which oftentimes you're if you're one of the few women there people assume you're probably not as good as the other guys. But most of the time, if you see a woman standing in a room with a bunch of men and they all do the same job, the woman's probably really good at her job because she really fought to be there. And I think if you keep showing up and the more people that you see or that you wouldn't expect to be there and they're doing just as good or they're doing the job as much as anyone else, it it really shifts that perspective of what people are capable of because we like to put people in boxes of what they do and what they don't do. Um, so I just think showing up in in different ways and and challenging those perspectives of what people think you are you can do or a person can be capable of is is really important.
0: Is this sort of front and center in your job, like all the time? Do you think about it all the time? Um.
1: I would say it runs in the background. It's kind of like background software for me now, because I do, I have very much cultivated this, this, uh, this persona that I don't always think is like my actual persona, but I, I do it for the the guests because, you know, it's a, it's a position where they are afraid and they, a lot of the times they're nervous and they've never done this before. And it is, it is dangerous in a sense. So their, their worst tendencies come out and they often, will doubt more often a, a smaller smaller woman than they would doubt their their big, strong savior. So I try to, to <laughs> cultivate this larger than life personality to, to show them I can be just as big.
0: Wow, yeah. What about the girls that show up on the trip? Are there girls and like, how do they react to you?
1: I think a lot now people are just relieved um, especially women, they're just like, they're relieved and it really does add a sense of just more comfort. It can be a very comforting thing, especially if it's just a, a a group of men and you're the one of the few women there, it can, it can feel uncomfortable. So I think a lot of the time they're just, they feel more comfortable having just like another woman there that they can confide. And especially if there's any type of medical issue going on and they don't really want to talk to a man about it. It's very often they'll come to me. I'm, I'm so happy to be there for that.
0: Do the girls look up to you? Do they notice that you're female? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like does it does that is that important to them, do you think?
1: I don't know. I hope it I hope it feels it just feels good to have that. I just I hope it's like a nice experience to just be reminded that like, oh, of course, like I could be here too. I just think the more opportunities you get to see someone there that is like you or for anyone to see someone that looks like them in a position where you weren't necessarily expecting or you were told isn't the place they should be is, is really important and it can be game changing for your understanding of what you're capable of. I know for me in my career, the female role models that I got to see and the people that I looked up to were so important. They were They were everything to my development in in sports and in, in Whitewater and in any any of the competitions I did. I just I I think having them there is is someone to look up to and someone to see yourself becoming is so important for your futures and your ability to like dream up what you can do is I know for me it had been always really important.
0: Were there women guys when you first were guiding, you know, when you were 18?
1: Um in my first company, no. No, they did not exist. And then moving to Colorado, there was some more. And then Grand Canyon. There's there's a there's a handful of us in my in my company, but I have a, a couple role models that I really look up to. Um, one is now her her name's Connie. She actually is our motor mechanic now. She works on all of our motors for our motor boats, and she was one of the very first female Guides down in Grand Canyon, and being able to talk to her and hear her stories, and and just and just listen to her and absorb her knowledge has been this privilege that I I can't even measure. It's been so important to me, and being able to just hang out with her, she's she's like a she's like a god to me. Sometimes she's so <laughs> wonderful. Well, just really hearing all the stuff that she had to go through and her grit sure. and her personality and how how strong she is, just just seeing that, I think gave me strength to do anything and just being able to come to her with with some of the things that I don't I didn't know if anyone else would understand or like, hey, I'm having a problem with this. And she'd be like, oh, just do that. It's fine. Here's here's the solution. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, no one else would have this answer for me. (laughs) Um and it's just always wonderful.
0: I'm just super impressed that, you know, like at 18 with no other female guides, you know, like as an example, you were like, I want to do this
1: yeah i don't I don't know what it was. It was just this absolute spark of something It just it really felt strong to me and i i I grew up in like a really small town. I feel like I was told you either go into the military or you go to college, and no other professional options were laid on the table. um so when I saw this person doing this job, they called it a job, and I was like, oh my goodness.' what is this? What did you do? It was really, really interesting to me to find a different avenue or just another option besides what I thought your future was.
0: And you also mentioned that you're working with the USGS in fish studies. How did that come about? Oh, um, it's so fun.
1: Actually, another really, really wonderful role model of mine, her name's Mariah. She Worked with the USGS for a while. She's a a fish scientist, and she took over the department a couple of years ago. And she was also a, a boatman with me. She she guided with me before she took over the um, the fish studies. And from being just a a wonderful human and role model to me, she she asked if I wanted to to join their their crew. And it's it's really interesting because they're they're doing a lot of really awesome work with the, the endangered species in Grand Canyon with the fish. So before the dam, Glen Canyon Dam, the river used to be warm and muddy, just a totally different environment than it is now. It's now it's cold and clear and because the, the dam holds back all the sediment. So it can really change the environment for the fish and all the native fish have had a lot harder time. And then there's been this influx of invasive fish. So they're they're really taking a beating. But the USGS is is doing some really amazing work, mostly around the humpback chub, which is one of the most endangered fish down there. And um, they were able to actually bring it from endangered to just threatened, which is, is actually a big deal, with all the work they're doing. So we're doing a lot of studying of them. And I'm am a I'm a boatman for them, so I drive these really so cool. They're the coolest boats. They're these, they're called ospreys. They're these little metal aluminum boats that were originally from New Zealand. Um, they're made for driving around in the ocean. And we use them to go up river, So we actually can take them up rapids. So we, we we have these big motors on the back and we drive them up the rapids so we can monitor all of our sights. Because we, we set hoop nets during the day, and then they do electrofishing at night so they can monitor the species, monitor the fish. It doesn't hurt the fish. It just zapped them real quick so they can measure them, weigh them, track them if they're not tracked, so they can have a really good understanding of the population down there and the shifts of population. And it, it's it's such a neat program that they're doing, and the work is, is so important and so cool. I feel really lucky to be be involved with that.
0: I love your enthusiasm. It's so awesome.
1: Oh, it's, it's well, just all this stuff is so cool. <laughs> uh,
0: I want to go back a little bit to the race, the Great Pacific race that you're preparing for. And I'm curious about, you know, like all of you that are on the team competed in school leading up to this. And now you're doing this race and in some ways it is a competition, you know, like you're wanting to beat the record, but in some ways it's, it's about the process and finishing and being incredibly prepared for the event. How are you perceiving this? Is it competitive for you? Is it not? I mean, is, is the competition important? Like, how does that work? I think, I think there's just, there's so many layers
1: to it. Um, I mean, a huge part of this journey is just getting ready and knowing that I'm prepared within myself. But a big part of it is we really do want to try as hard as we can and see what we're capable of. So I don't know competition is a is a funny word because I don't know if we're racing against anyone but ourselves and like what what we think we're capable of. a lot of the the record will come down to weather in reality mm-hmm. So if we have horrible weather or we there's hurricanes, then you know that the chances are lower, but if we have good weather, we're we don't want to stand in our own way of being able to achieve breaking the, the women's record. So I, I think it's a there's there's a lot there's a lot to it, but competition is a, is hard when you're you're really just racing against your own abilities.
0: I'm so fascinated by this whole idea of competition and not competition and like. I mean, I'm way... How old are you? I'm 28. Yeah, see, I'm way older than you. And, like, certainly I'm never going to compete at the level that I was when I was in my 20s. And so, it's like, sort of how do you figure that all in? It's interesting.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's beautiful because there's just still opportunities. I don't, it, competition is never a great word unless you you're really trying to reach, like, a certain time goal. But, like, you can... You can participate in so many things, and just so late in your age, without trying to to beat a record or trying to achieve a certain time. Just to be there, I think, is awesome. And that's that's the cool thing about this race. Is there's going to be people that are just that just want to be there, and that's just as valid and just as important, and almost more important for the culture of of sports, is people that just do it because they enjoy it, not just because they want to gain valor.
0: I totally agree. And for me, success is always being prepared, you know, feeling yeah. like I've done myself proper by being on the start line or, you know, the beginning, properly prepared.
1: Yeah, knowing knowing you did everything you could for the moment that you've been working towards is, is really all it is.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a sense of what success will be like or feel like or how you'll think about the race once it's done. I mean, are you thinking about that at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've thought about it a lot because that was actually something we talked about when we were just forming as a team. And I I said, you know, if we don't end up, if we know we're not on track to get the record, is this going to ruin your trip? And, and we all agreed that absolutely not. We're there for different reasons as well. We We want to be there. We want to experience the trip as well. Um, so, you know, if we if we have to fight through four different hurricanes and we show up 90 days later, I'm still going to call that a success, maybe even more of a success than breaking the record.
0: Do you have a sense of what failure is like?
1: Um, I think failure would be not, not being able to make it to the start line for any reason, injury, lack of funds, or maybe you know it would be it'd be hard to have to not finish if something happened you know if something broke and we couldn't fix it or any of those but you know you can only prepare for what you're capable of and we're going to make sure that we are capable of any thing that is within our ability So we're trying to learn everything. We're trying to be as prepared as possible. We're trying to be physically prepared. But some things are just out of your hands. And I wouldn't call it a failure. If we didn't finish, we'd just have to try again. (laughs) Right. Definitely. It'd be a learning experience and a test run. Right.
0: Well, cool. This has been amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really Excited to follow you and to keep track of how things are going, and then once the race is on to, to follow that and see how, how oh yeah, going.
1: you can be a dot watcher.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you again, Kelsey, for being on the podcast and for dealing with all the tech issues that we had really appreciate your patience and generosity for finding time to talk all the way from Spain. Great to have you all listening and spreading the word about the show. Do tell your friends about the athletes you are meeting on Hear Her Sports. It makes a difference for this show and also for women's sports and female athletes in general. Small steps by each of us individually moves us all forward a bit at a time. Remember to visit the show notes for links to what Kelsey and I talked about including links to Follow the Great Pacific Race and Hurricane Racing. Hear Her Sports is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. A good place to start is, of course, women's running stories and keeping track. Both are other female athlete podcasts I know that you'll love. You can reach me by sending an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com or connect through social at hearhersports. Until next time, bye-bye. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell. And this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer, Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner. And together with original music by musician and runner, Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.